That's a word of prayer before we start. Father in heaven, we thank you for the evening now. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And Lord, we thank you for the information that you give us the enemy about the enemy. Lord, I pray it help us now, Lord, to see it and to take it in. And Lord, that we might fight a good fight, Lord, that we might, we might war a good warfare, that we might recognize, Lord, that we truly are in a war. And Lord, that we might not, not let it just be information, but that, Lord, it would be truth. It would be something that helps us. And, oh, Lord, I pray you bless tonight, Lord, and you'd give victory, and, Lord, you'd reveal areas of deception, Lord, that you would use this night uh, to bless your people, Lord, and to bless your cause. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, let's just catch from verse 12 there. It's an organized force that knows how to get you. Right? It's an organized force. It's not just the devil on his own. It's an organized force, and he has it organized, and it is set to derail and dethrone the work of God. And since you're part of the work of God, it's set to derail and to dethrone you. Uh, Satan wants to take and use it to, to wear you down and to destroy you. And he's organized about it. And you can expect that he's well organized. Right? Uh, <clears throat> Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Right? <clears throat> it's the whole armor of God that you need. Remember, the enemy's going to go after whatever part he finds exposed. That's what he'll do. He'll, he, he, whatever, whatever area he can find that's exposed, he will go after. So you need to have the whole armor of God. You need to wear all the armor of God. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may, that, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. <clears throat> all right, last week we looked at the, um, uh, the ways the enemy tries to trick us, his wiles, his tricks. And listen, he has many tricks. Uh, we looked at the fact that he will accuse you before God. He fills the heart of the believer to do evil. He tempts the believer to immorality. Uh, he hinders the believer in the work of the gospel. He seeks whom he may devour. As a roaring lion, he roameth about seeking whom he may devour. He snares the believer in sin. He desires to sift the believer. Uh, he becomes a thorn in the flesh to believers. He resists the removal of the filthy rags spotted by the flesh. He uses others to tempt us away from the cross. Listen, on and on. And there's no way that we could, we could develop a list big enough because he's always going to be using something. I want you to look, though, in 2 Corinthians at something that he does try to do, he does seek to do, and he's very effective at doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Verse 3, sorry. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, you've got to get that one in your mind and in your heart and understand you can't fight this one in your own power. Your power doesn't have any bearing upon this situation. There's no way for you to win it uh, in your power. Uh, <clears throat> for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, Satan wants to build strongholds in your mind so that he can control you. And he's very effective at doing it. And what he does is he puts a lie in. The lie is accepted, and the lie becomes truth once you're accepted. And you live based upon the truth that's actually a lie. And it's a stronghold. It's something that he uses to control you. It's something that he uses to actually get in there and to uh, control you. <clears throat> we'll just say, for instance, uh, <clears throat> he convinces you that God doesn't love you. Now, I'd, I'd love to know how many of God's people doubt the fact that God loves them. I really would do that. That would be fascinating to actually be able to probe it and, uh, and ask people the right questions uh, and come to the place where you, undo, where, where you really could actually make a, a clear, uh, get, a, get a clear picture of who actually thinks that God doesn't really love them. But when he puts it in there that God doesn't really love you, 
that somehow you're substandard, that somehow there's something wrong with you, there's an issue with you, you know, that puts you in the place where, you know what, God couldn't really love you. What, he, what he's done there is he's built a stronghold in your mind. Now, based on that stronghold, he will build other strongholds. But here's the thought. The thought is that since God doesn't love you, therefore he hasn't got your best in mind, so everything he tells you to do is questionable. And so he will use that to build. So he uses that to control you. A deception, a lie that goes in there, and he uses it to control you. Now, the only thing you can do with a lie like that is you've got to fight it tooth and nail. You've got to fight hard against it. You, you, you can't afford to accept it. Now, you've got to fight it spiritually, but you've got to fight it. You can't afford to accept a lie like that. Once he puts something in there that's slightly off, and, you know, the thing about it is that once you buy the lie, it really becomes truth to you. Once you buy into it, it becomes truth, and then you have a hard time. Now, God says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, that you can actually dismantle the strongholds that he builds in your mind. Notice how you're going to do it. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, it's casting down imaginations and every... Let's think about that for a second. Right? North Korea are threatening to lob a nuclear bomb uh, at South Korea and at Japan and anybody else they can, they can get it out. Right now, we don't know whether they're serious or not. We don't know what's going on over there. Nobody really does. Uh, it's all, <clears throat> all talk and blow and all the rest of it, so uh, nobody knows what's going on. Now, <clears throat> uh, South Korea and the U.S. and Japan have plans to stop the bomb from coming through. Right? They're going to shoot it down as it comes their way. They, once they see it, uh, they're going to go into action and shoot it down. Now, do you think they're aiming to shoot down most of the bombs? No, every bomb. Because it only takes one nuclear bomb. They're planning on shooting down every bomb before it ever gets going. Right? That's, that, 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 they're not allowing some. Now, here's what the Christian army does. Right? The Christian army casts down <clears throat> imaginations and uh, almost every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have a comfortable Christianity, and you know what? We don't want to go too far into it. So what we do is we, we, we tend to fight our warfare, but we don't fight an all-out war. Yeah, I don't know the, the, understand all that happened, but they say that Vietnam was lost because America really never went to war. They never really fought the war all out. You know, there was all kinds of political considerations, and the, and the army guys were never let do what army guys do, and it was all politicized, and people were involved in it and everything else, so it never happened. And um, the war was lost and so on, because they never really came to grips with an all-out war. Listen, as a believer, you're involved in a war. It has to be all-out war. It has to be casting down imaginations. How many imaginations? Every imagination. Now, what's an imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Well, something you read in the Word. And you say, well, that can't be true. Well, that, that wouldn't work in my life. I mean, if I did that, I mean, that, that would just destroy everything. I, I couldn't do that. You have to cast down those imaginations. You have to cast down, you have to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Your thinking is what we're talking about here now. We're not talking about what you're doing at all. We're talking about you're getting your thinking sorted out. We're talking about you fighting a warfare in your thinking so that you go God's way all the way. So that you're not kind of playing with this thing. So that you're not kind of looking for ways out of it. You know what we'll do sometimes? Sometimes God will show us something. And we'll say, okay, that's the, I see that. That's the truth. That's the way. But we're not happy with that truth because it doesn't really suit us. So what we do is we ask people, what do you think the truth is there? What do you think the truth is there? until we get a consensus of human opinion. And what we've done is, we're not casting down imaginations. We're not bringing every thought into captivity. What we're doing is we're looking for our own way. And what we're doing, and we don't realize it, but what we're actually doing is, we're handing Satan the blocks and the cement to actually build a fortress. You've got to give that over. You've got to go all the way with God. You've got to rip everything in your mind out. That doesn't fall in line with what God says. Everything. You've got to tear all those things out. They will destroy you. Listen, if you're watching something on the TV, and what it's doing is it's, 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 it's going against that. 
It's <clears throat> what you're doing is you have imaginations and you have um, <clears throat> things that don't agree with the Lord, what the Lord Jesus Christ says. Stop. You say, but listen, I mean, if I do that, then I won't be able to watch anything. I won't be able to have any fun. Do you have to have your fun in ways that are going to hurt you? Aren't we kind of foolish about this? You know, we make a stand in certain areas, but we don't make all the stands we need to make. And it's as though what we're doing is we're defending ourselves against most of the bombs. But not all. That'd be too hard. You couldn't live in the world if you really came to grips with defending yourself against all the bombs. Any area in your life that you're letting the enemy get the upper hand, you need to get rid of it. You've got a friend who's constantly tearing down Christianity and tearing down the church and tearing down those things and you're, and you're, you're, you're there listening to them? Stop. Stop letting them do, do a number on your head. Just, just don't let that be. Fight against it. You've got an area in your life, you know, where the long-standing area where, listen, you've done wrong in a certain area and you've kind of built up a habit that's kind of, you know, an awkward habit to break. Don't justify it. Get help, break it, change it. You have got to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, what that looks like is this, right? You know, if your thoughts were physical things that you could pick up in your hand, it's what you would do is you would take your thoughts, you would put it in your hand, you would say, Lord, do you think this is okay for me to think? Is this this all right? And if he says, no, it's not that, what you do is you cast it down, then I'm not going to think it. It's wrong. And I'm going to fight, and I'm not going to think thoughts that are wrong. And I'm going to get my head clear. Look, <clears throat> Christians fail. Because what they do is they don't get their heads sorted. They don't get their heads cleaned. They don't get their heads right. They allow the enemy to build fortresses, and they succumb. They go down. They just keel over and go down. Because they don't actually fight the fight. You've got to fight the fight. You've got to fight the fight with all the, all the bombs. Not just part of the bombs. All of the bombs. All right? <clears throat> You're in a war. You know, you're not just going through life with a nice Christian life. Isn't that what we think sometimes? You know, Christian life's a nice way to live. It's a good way to live, you know. No, the day you got saved, you you entered into a warfare. And the enemy's got a plan. God's got a good plan for your life. The enemy's got a bad plan for your life. And if he can tear you down in any possible way, he will do it. You've got to fight for all your worth. All right, now having said that... uh, our objective is for us to stay standing. Look back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. The objective is that you're going to stay standing, that the enemy's going to come after you. There's going to be an evil day. He's going to come after you. He's going to try and chase you down. He's going to try and knock you down. He's going to try and get you off. Right? But you're going to stay standing. Right, you, ever, you ever have one of those games where you, where you sit on a pole or you stand on a pole and one guy tries to knock the other guy off it? That's, what, that's what's happening here. He's trying to knock you off. But you've got to stay standing. You know, all days in the war are not the same. There are attacks and counterattacks. Satan will come at you like a flood sometimes in an effort to dislodge you and take ground. And you've no idea when the evil day is coming, so you need to be always on your guard. Now, that one should speak to us too. You may be going through a nice, easy patch in your life right now. By the, way, by the way, you know, the enemy draws back and puts pressure on. Sometimes, just, just when you're kind of, you know, you're, you're happy that the pressure's off, then he puts the pressure back on again. You know, and remember, it's a warfare. There's, there's beings involved in it. There's, there's Satan, there's demons, there's, there's all kinds of beings. So he's going to pull back, and then there's going to be days that are just evil days. Days, days when he's looking for whatever he can do to tear you down. Days, days when he's harrowing you and harassing you and on your case and looking for you to make a wrong step. Just looking for you to make one wrong step. Just, and listen, they're horrible days. Nobody in their right mind enjoys those days. Days when he's just on your case. Isn't that the way you'd fight the war? Isn't that the way you? What was the guy's name? He, 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 the catchphrase that caught me was he used to he used to say to the, to the Irish football the football team he would say to them, put them under pressure. And uh, you know what, what was he what was he saying? Listen, get out there in the field and just put them under pressure. Why do you put them under pressure? Because if you put them under enough pressure, somebody will make a mistake and you get the ball and you get a goal. 
yeah, <clears throat> um, Jack Charlton. You know, just put them under pressure. Keep them under pressure. Right? And that's what Satan does. Puts you under pressure. And then he withdraws the pressure for a bit. And then he puts it back on again. Now, <clears throat> you know, you, you've got to understand this is real stuff. This is real warfare. This is not playing. This is not, you know, spooky stuff that we shouldn't talk about. This is reality of life. And if you don't face it as reality of life, you're going to be a casualty of the war. There are lots of casualties of the war. Lots of people that go by the wayside. Lots of people that just don't make it. And Satan's always involved because he's no, no intention of you making it all the way. <clears throat> Oftentimes a battle rages for control of a strategic position. In these battles, the one who stays standing is the victor. So you've got to get some grit in you when it comes to this battle with Satan. What do I mean by grit? You're not going to give up. You're not going to let go. You're not going to just say, oh, this is too much for me, and go and do it. You've got to get some grit so that you decide, no way I'm giving in in this. Let me read you a story here. Second Samuel 23 tells a fascinating story about Shema, one of David's mighty men. Um, <clears throat> uh, and after him was Shema, the son of Agi the Harite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Now, the people fled for some reason, but Shema decided, I'm not giving up this lentils. I don't know why the lentils were important to him. I don't know why he decided, but he was not giving it to the Philistines. They just were not having it. No way. And so he stood. Now, I want you to see what it says. He stood, and the Lord wrought a great victory. But if you turn tail and run every time Satan goes after you, you know what? The Lord doesn't get a great victory. You just get defeat. But if you stand, the Lord will stand with you, and in his power, you can vanquish the enemy. You can actually put him to flight. Satan and his demons are always looking to take some ground. They are always looking for a place. When, the <clears throat> when we wear the armor and stand against Satan, we will always be victorious. When the smoke of the battle has cleared, we will still be standing. Let me ask you today, are you ready for an evil day? What if on the way home today, Something dreadful happens, and you end up being thrust into an evil day. Are you ready? It's kind of too late to get ready when it starts, isn't it? It's kind of too late for you to say, okay, you know what, I need to stand against the enemy now. I need to now listen, you need to be ready. You need to be in the place where you're ready, where <clears throat> you've made your decision, where you've decided, listen, he's not getting any ground in my life. I'm going to fight tooth and nail. There's no way I'm yielding to Satan. No possible way. I am going to fight for all I'm worth. I am going to keep the ground. I am going to stay. Now listen, if you have that attitude already in you, you're a formidable force for the enemy. But if you have the kind of attitude that's, well, you know, I'll stand as long as it's convenient, but if, it's, if it gets too hard, I'm gone. I'm not getting hurt in this thing. You will get hurt. You definitely will get hurt. You know, Paul talks about Demas, and Demas <clears throat> is an interesting character because Demas was a fellow helper in the gospel. And then in 2 Timothy, when Paul is, you know, <clears throat> giving his swan song, giving those last verses, he says this, he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what happened to Demas. One day he was with Paul, and the next day he's gone. And spiritually written over Demas' uh, <clears throat> grave is, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Doesn't matter what good he did in his life. He forsook Paul, loving the present world. I don't know what he did, <clears throat> what it was about the world that he lived, but I do know this. Satan was involved in it. And Satan worked on him and worked on him and worked on him and watched him and watched him and watched him. And Satan came in with just the right thing, and Demas said, Oh, I can't fight this one. And he surrendered. And he gave in. And it could happen to you, it could happen to me. We need to understand that we've got to be ready for the fight. We're in a fight. You know, you've got to be in the place where you're ready to fight and you're, <clears throat> and, you're, and you're willing to fight. All right, then, let's look at the armor here real quickly. First of all, your loins girt about with truth. Satan is a liar, and the prince in the power of the air, he has filled the whole world with his lies. Evolution, morality. <clears throat> you know, I am, just, I am just aghast in the day we live in, the things I have to teach people about morality. I just am. You know, it's just, just amazing. It's, it, it's not like, you know, well, they know it's not right, but they're doing it anyway. 
They don't even know today what morality is, what's right and what's wrong. They just don't know. There's no shame. Why would they be shamed? They don't think it's wrong. Yet that's amazing. That's, that's absolutely amazing. That's, that's lies. Not so long ago, people knew it was right and wrong. You know, even in this country, people knew it was right and wrong, but now today they don't. You tell people it's not right to live together, and they look at you, it's not. And, and I, don't think, I don't think they're being mean about it. I don't think they're being bad about it. I think they generally, oh. Yeah, because the reality of life around them is everybody uh, agrees it's okay, so why is it not okay? Listen, it's wrong because God says it's wrong. And by the way, do be careful because we're predisposed to actually accept lies that we've been living or have been part of our lives. Be careful. You've got to take truth and you've got you, you to be tough on yourself with truth. You've got to change. You've got to kind of pull things up and straighten things out in the, in the world that we live in. In child training. You know, <clears throat> by the way, something amazing has happened in child training. You know, listen, you are to affirm your kids. I believe you should affirm your kids. It's a good thing to affirm your kids. Um, but you know what? You're to affirm your kids and you're never to make them feel bad. That's, that's today's modern psychology. Now, so if a child does something wrong... You can't make them feel bad. So what do you do? You somehow make them feel good about being bad. Now, listen, that is rubbish. That is rubbish, and there's a lot of people out there with that in their minds. Listen, <clears throat> you, need, you need definitely to affirm your kids. But when the child's wrong, it's wrong. When the child does wrong, listen, it's wrong. <clears throat> you need to tell them it's wrong in no uncertain terms. Then you understand it's wrong, why it's wrong, and what you're going to do about it. <clears throat> you're going to raise your children to live in a real world. Um, <clears throat> but we're, we're surrounded by all kinds of deceptions, by all kinds of lies that have just eroded society and taken over and done a number on us. And <clears throat> we've got to stand on truth. Now, you won't find truth on the Dr. Phil show. You won't find truth on Oprah. You won't find truth in any of those places. You know where you'll find truth in there, and only in there. If it doesn't line up with what in, what's in there, it's not true. I don't care how powerful the person that says it is. I don't care how good they sound. I don't care how good they look. I don't care how nice they are. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't line up with that truth, it's not truth. You need to have your loins girt about with truth. You need to get the truth of God's word in you. And live it. And you've got, to, you've got to fight against the day we live in and fight against your head and fight against the influences to come to the place where, no, this is true. And so you read it and you take it on board and you come to the place where the Word of God is the guiding influence in your life. And by the way, that may mean you have to starve yourself from a lot of other things so that you can let this become the guiding influence in your life. That, you, that, you, that you, you silence other things in your life that are pulling your mind away from that, that are letting you think differently, and you come to the place where you're, listen, what you're doing is you're letting the truth be truth. Because here's the problem. There's coming an evil day. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be next month, in six months or a year. There's coming an evil day. I doubt that anybody's going to get through another year without an evil day of some kind hitting their lives. And the problem about the evil day is the armor becomes important then. Where's your headspace at? What are you thinking? You need to be thinking truth. All right? <clears throat> um, his word is truth. Then, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Look there with me. Let me catch myself up here, right? <clears throat> uh, we're talking here, here about the breastplate of righteousness. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren, and he's always looking for an advantage over us. He always wants to get you in the one-down position. When you give into sin, you give him an advantage. Now catch that. Listen, <clears throat> when you sin, how do you feel? Bad. You just feel bad. You feel rotten. That's, <clears throat> you know, if, if you're in tune with God, you can feel really rotten. You can actually get yourself to the place where you don't feel so bad about it anymore um, by trampling your conscience again. But, you know, when you, when you sin, you feel bad. That, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for you to feel bad. 
But understand this, that when you sin and get it wrong, the enemy says, great. It's kind of like you're playing a game of chess, right? And the enemy is watching you playing the game of chess, and he's got you under pressure, and he's, and he's, and he's, and when you sin, you make a bad move. And he's going to take your bad move and use it to advantage against you if he possibly can at all. So understand that in this, in this battle that we're involved in, every time you do wrong, you give him the advantage. All right, now 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, <clears throat> look at verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also for... If I forgive anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We don't want him to get an advantage over us. Now, how would somebody have an advantage in a, in a, in a game of football? Well, <clears throat> they could have an advantage if they were a better team. But they could have a definite advantage if they had more team players. If two of your team players got sent off, they would have a serious advantage, wouldn't they? That, that would be hard to take, that you're now, <clears throat> you're now fighting two men down. Now, that's, that's what we're talking about, that you can give Satan an advantage. You know, and he's not going to say, ah, well, I will only choose this one against you. He's going to use everything he can against you. Everything he can, everything he can find, and everything he can throw at you is going to get thrown at you. See, in verse 10 it says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive it also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, it is for your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage. What's he talking about there? He's talking about bitterness. Paul's saying, listen, I don't want to be bitter in this thing. I'm going to let it go because Satan would get an advantage if I was. And I don't know how often he runs roughshod through the church of God because we're bitter against this and that and the other. Because we're bent out of shape, because we're hurt, because we're, <clears throat> we're in a situation where, you know, <clears throat> uh, we, we've let something get to us, we've let something to get in, and we're bitter. And you give him advantage. You know, you're, you, you, you're coming into the war then disadvantaged. Last week we read the story about the guy, Eames, uh, who, who arrived on the beach, I think it was in France, and um, his tank had been hit, and his sergeant says to him, where's your helmet? Oh, it must be in the tank. Uh, where's your duty belt? Oh, I must have left it in the tank. In fact, where's your rifle? Uh, it's, in, it's in the tank. And here he is on the beach, going from, <clears throat> going from hole to hole, trying to protect himself with no gun, no protection, no nothing. And that's what we do to ourselves. When we allow sin into our lives, when we allow bitterness into our lives, you can't afford it. You just can't afford to be bitter. You can't afford sin in your life. You can't afford to play with it. You just can't afford You have an enemy that's out to get you, and he's looking to take advantage, and if you give him advantage, he will take it, and he will use it against you. Um, <clears throat> we could re reasonably say that when we fail of the grace of God, now what does it mean to fail of the grace of God? Lest any man fail of the grace of God. How could you fail of the grace of God? Well, let me give you a picture. Imagine you're there and you're thirsty, right? And there's a stream just five feet away from you. But you lie there and you die of thirst with a stream that close. The grace of God is available to enable you to overcome sin, bitterness, and everything else that can get to you. And you can avail of it, but when you don't avail of it, you fail. And listen, every time you choose to sin, you fail of the grace of God because you don't have to. There's grace, there's supernatural enabling power available for you, not only not to sin, but for you to do right in the situation. Don't fail of the grace of God. Uh, <clears throat> so we, we could reasonably say that when we fail of the grace of God and allow sin in our lives, we are cooperating with the enemy. Cooperating with an enemy in war is considered treason. That's a hard word. What's considered treason when we do that? Um, <clears throat> the battlefield in Saratoga, New York, where in 1977, two, two battles of the Revolutionary War took place. 
you will notice that the battlefield and obelisk or a pillar standing uh, as a monument to what happened there. At the base are four deep niches for the bronze figures of the generals who fought there so heroically. The first contains the figure of Horatio Gates, while the second contains that of Philip Schuyler. Uh, In the third, we see the figure of Daniel Morgan. But when we come to the fourth, we see something unusual. The fourth niche is empty. This was for a general whose performance during battle merited honor. However, he later committed an act of treason and his name became associated with being a traitor rather than a hero. Yet at the base of the empty niche, we can see the the name of this general engraved in the stone. His name is Benedict Arnold. And you can read the story about it. That's a fascinating story. But Benedict Arnold turned uh, traitor and turned from uh, the army he was fighting for and gave himself to the English uh, for a price. And that niche will stand forever as a monument of one who went from heroism to treason. In heaven, a great monument is there also standing of 12 foundations on which each of them is the name of an apostle. However, on that celestial monument, there is a name that is missing. The name of Judas Iscariot. Oh, the tragedy of abandoning noble purposes. Listen, listen, you come tonight and you're in church on a Sunday night. That's great. And you want to walk with God and you want to live for God. That's great. But you know what? If you don't stand against the enemy, one day it may all come to naught. One day it may all come to the place where it means nothing. One day the glory that you could have may be not because what happened? You turned traitor. You walked away. You didn't continue on for God. Nobody plans that. You know, nobody plans it. If Demas had lived in the day, you know, when there was, you know, those... <clears throat> You know, pop interviews on the road. Somebody has stood up and <clears throat> caught Demas walking down the road and, and held up the microphone and said to him, Okay, Demas, do you think you'd ever turn tail and run and leave? Do you think you'd ever, you'd ever become somebody that, that had fallen by the wayside? He would have said, How dare you? Don't you know that I walk with the Apostle Paul? Don't you know that I'm a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul? Do you think it conceivable that somebody who's in the upper echelons of Christianity could ever fall? Well, he did. And you could too, and I could too. Don't give the enemy any advantage. Don't give him any advantage at all. Don't let him get an edge on you at all. You can't afford to. All right, back to our text in, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Stand therefore, verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, <clears throat> what does it mean? I mean? Well, basically we have peace with God because of the gospel, Romans 5 verse 6. And we are ambassadors of that peace. Right? So God has given us peace and now you're our ambassadors. Now it's your job to take the gospel to the world. Now, I want you to understand this, that the gospel is not the means of building churches. That's not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is that Jesus Christ said you're supposed to do it. It's reaching the world with the gospel. And it's part of the armor. You see, we're an army. We're in battle. Now, we're not in battle to pay the bills and keep the building up. God's able to do that. You know, we are in battle to reach souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nearly 8 billion souls in our world today. Most of them haven't got a clue as far as the gospel is concerned, and they need to be reached. We've got nearly 4, four million people in our country today. Most of them know nothing about the gospel. They need to be reached. Now, we need to understand that's where we're going as a war. That's where the battle is. That's, what, that's what's really happening. You need to be involved in that. You say, how much do I need to be involved in that? You need to be very involved in that. That needs to be your way of life, that you're involved in the gospel. That's your message. That's your truth. Now, let me say, some of you sitting here tonight have a stronghold in your mind that says, effectively, that's not all that important. I'm doing right. I'm living right. I'm going right. I'm serving in the church. I'm doing whatever. It's not all that important with the gospel. Yes, it is. I want you to understand this, too. It's part of the armor. Now, what does that mean? That when you're not involved in the gospel, when you're not passionate working towards the gospel, you're vulnerable. 
you're vulnerable to the enemy. That's, that's what I'm saying. If you haven't got on the whole armor, you're vulnerable. Listen, don't put yourself in that position. You need to be involved in getting the gospel out. Everybody in this room needs to be involved. Yeah, you say, well, well, I'm going to get involved. And I, well, when? When are you going to get involved? When are you going to get to the place where you're involved in getting the gospel out? When was the last time you talked to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ and their soul? When was the last time you opened your mouth and you spoke? Have you ever? Listen, you're not involved. You've got to be honest with yourself. And don't talk about what you are doing or what you have been doing. You've got to be involved now. When was the last time you talked to somebody about getting saved? When was the last time you popped the question, you asked somebody, listen, are you ready to trust Christ your Savior? Listen, that is the key issue. You need to get to the place where you're involved in that. That's not just because we want to build a church or anything else. That's because that's the issue. That's the function. That's the reason we're here. When we stop doing that, we stop. And by the way, know this. That one of the great stabilities for the church, any church is, when it's involved in gospel outreach. When the church is gung-ho, fired up, and out there with the gospel, you know what happens? Something happens in the church. And, you know, the church is not picking, picking holes in each other then. The church is moving forward on the, on the basis of the gospel. You know, all, all the problems get left behind because we have a common cause. We have a common focus. We have a common issue. It's about the gospel. Right? Keep... The, keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing is the gospel and always will be. It's about the gospel. Get involved with the gospel. Everything we do has got to be about the gospel. But you know what? <clears throat> There's no point in us having this broad philosophy. It's about the gospel. If you're not involved in the gospel. You've got to get involved in the gospel. You've got to be out there talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be doing the business as far as the gospel is concerned. That's the key issue. And if you're not, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the enemy. And those of you that have been there, you'll know, listen, in the times when, you, when you were, your heart was set on the gospel, listen, you were moving. You know, when God moved in, in the year 2000, you know what the most noticeable thing was? There were lots of noticeable things, but the most noticeable thing was, listen, we instantly became a witnessing church. Instantly. That was, that was the heartbeat of the church. Why? Because that's the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his heart, the gospel. And we need to have that as our heart. <clears throat> One of the areas that the modern church is failing in is the active declaration of the gospel. Nothing stabilizes or focuses the church and its individual members like a commitment to obey the Great Commission in soul winning. Get with it. Just get with it. I can talk about it till I'm blue in the face. I can lay it out for you till I'm blue in the face. You're waiting for some feeling. You're waiting for something nice to happen. You're waiting for some breeze to waft in to carry you out to the gospel. Just get with it and get out there and get involved. Stop making excuses and do the business. If you're not doing the gospel, you're not doing the business. If you're not doing the gospel, you're disobedient. Not to me. To the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're vulnerable. Understand you're vulnerable. And then, <clears throat> above all, sorry, verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Um, a fiery dart is a thought set on fire by the enemy that explodes in your mind in an instant. Now, let me ask you, how many of you know what a, personally know what a fiery dart is? You know what it is because you've, you've, you've had fiery darts and then they've hit you. Right? <clears throat> You know what a, fire, a fiery dart is? That thought that comes into your head and explodes. I get them regularly. I get them when I'm going to sleep very often too. You know, and it'll be a fiery dart. It'll be some stupid thought that if I don't put it out right away, it will keep me rolling around on my bed all night. It's a, I'll get them before I preach. Listen, you know what? Uh, we, we need a shield up here before I preach because listen, the, the thoughts will come and, and fiery darts. And the whole purpose of them is just to deflect me from what I'm about to do. Tonight's one of those nights, by the way, right? Just <clears throat> fiery darts that come in. Now, listen, <clears throat> the fiery dart can come from anywhere and it just explodes. And if you don't learn how to deal with them, they just envelop your thinking. <clears throat> it can be... It might be jealousy, a thought of jealousy that just hits in and kaboom, and all of a sudden it's there. Just that jealous thought. Uh, it could be a thought to immorality. 
You know, you're just sitting there, you're minding your own business, you may be trying to pray, trying to be spiritual. All of a sudden, there's this thought that comes in that just is kaboom. It just explodes in your mind. Uh, it might be a desire for pleasure. It might be a doubt. It might be a fear. But just some kind of a thought that comes into your mind that's really not your own that just explodes there. And listen, it's part of what the enemy does. And it's very real. Now, you can deal with it. But you've got to deal with it with the shield of faith. There's only one way to deal with it. It's the shield of faith that deals with it. You know, we often try to reason our fiery darts away, but it won't work. You can't reason them away. You can't think yourself out of a fiery dart. You can't think yourself out of a fear like that that just grips you. The only way for you to deal with them is by the shield of faith. You've got to take and you've got to look. No, my heavenly father loves me. I don't want to think like this. Lord, take it away. And you, you, you put yourself in that place where you're submitting to him and you're resisting the devil and he will flee. And it's amazing. You know what? They can go out as quickly as they can light up. You can, you can put them out as quickly as they light up, but you can only do it by faith. You turn to the Lord. By the way, if you weaken your thinking in that you're not fighting against stuff and you're not dealing with stuff along the it's, it's much harder for you to deal with this kind of junk. And that's what the enemy does. And obviously there are levels in the battle. Obviously there are times when he goes after you. There are different levels. You know, you reach a level and he goes after you on that level. And then, you know, he ups at a level because you get to be more dangerous. By the way, I'm telling you to get involved in the, in the, in the gospel and get involved in the outreach. But I, 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 let me tell you this too. As soon as you get serious about the gospel, the enemy's going to go after you. Now you say, okay, well then, listen, I'm not going after the gospel. No, no, no. Listen, you're vulnerable right now. You go after the gospel. You get involved in the gospel. You won't even be as vulnerable. But you know what? He becomes vulnerable then. Then you get him on the off foot. Then you get him in the place, listen, where you're pushing him. And that's always a safer place to be. <clears throat> but um, he will send fiery darts at you. He will go after you and will try and, try and get them in. And you've got to raise up the shield of faith. No, Lord, I'm depending upon you. I'm trusting in you. Lord, <clears throat> it's in your hands and my life is in your hands. And you're, you're in charge of the situation, Lord. I'm trusting in you and I'm, I'm leaving it in your hands. And you know what? It's amazing how those fiery darts can hit a wet shield and there's the thump and the of it going out. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about real warfare and fiery darts. Don't let the fiery darts burn. Some of you let the fiery darts burn until they've done their damage. And you know what? After three days of a, of a fiery dart burning, you're in a mess. Deal with the fiery darts with the shield of faith right away. If you can't deal with them yourself, get help. But know this, those thoughts that explode in your mind and go kaboom. And that are kind of just, where did that come from? You're talking about a fiery dart there. You're talking about something the enemy lobbed at you. And you can't deal with it by reasoning it out. You can't deal with it by working it out. You've got to deal with it by faith. Lord, I'm trusting you. You love me. You're taking care of me. And I'm putting myself in your hands. And you can sleep like a baby in his hands. <clears throat> and then there's a the helmet of salvation. Uh, in salvation, our greatest need has been met. We have been delivered. Jesus told the apostles to rejoice, not that the demons were subject unto them, but that their names were written down in heaven. <clears throat> that's, that's where you rejoice. That's what makes you happy, right? <clears throat> it's what's supposed to make you happy. Um, <clears throat> the, remember the disciples came, the apostles came back to Jesus. They had cast down demons. They had done great things. And Jesus said, no, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. You ought to rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. You ought to be, get happy, purposefully rejoice. Rejoicing doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So you're, you, you know, you, you're being told to rejoice. Jesus is telling them to change their attention from one thing onto something else and to rejoice in that. And he says the same to you. You're to rejoice in your salvation. Now listen, you can't rejoice in your salvation if you're not saved. Right? <clears throat> That's reasonable, isn't it? If you're not saved here tonight, how are you going to rejoice in your salvation? You don't know. If you were to die right now, you don't know where you're going to go. I mean, the Bible says hell, but you're not sure. But, you know, you have nothing to rejoice in there because, you know, you don't know. You need to be saved. Now, how does somebody get saved? They get saved by faith. By simply putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple. It's not hard. Jesus said a child can understand it. You can understand it too. It's simply coming to the place where you say, okay, 
I am trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm depending upon him. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. And you know what? That one's not hard for us to get our minds around. We don't like that truth. But it's not hard to get our minds around. Because everybody here, if if they'll be honest, knows they've done enough against God to deserve a place in hell. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But I'm trusting what Jesus did on the cross, as best I know how, to save me. And you can be sure of your salvation. Now, let me give you another warning here. You need to be secure in your salvation. Your salvation is of God. It's not of you. Salvation is not, you know, you do this, this, and this, and I'll save you. Salvation is simply you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the Bible term. You, you, you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't get in the place where you let somebody shake your confidence up in your salvation. What do I mean by that? I mean, where, where you begin to question, are you really saved or not? Or worse still, where you get a, tholo- get a theology going that tells you, well, listen, you sinned, you can't be saved. You did this wrong, you can't be saved. Listen, being a Christian does not mean you're perfect. It means you're forgiven. And all your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven when Jesus died on the cross. And you've got to lock into the reality of, no, Jesus paid the price for my sin, all of it. I don't have to pay for any of it. You say, but I don't deserve that. I've done bad things even since I've been saved. I know you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. But the truth of it is that Jesus did it anyway. And it was all on him. It's not on you. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. If you're going to wear this helmet of salvation, you have to know that you have eternal life. Don't, Don't question it. Don't play with it. Sort the issue out. Deal with it and know it. And put on that helmet that's going to protect your head. Because if you don't, the enemy will come after you and he'll try and tear you apart with it. He can just tell you your truth. Listen, if everything else in your life failed, and it's possible that everything in your life could fail, that's that's a possibility. It probably won't happen, but that's a possibility. You'd still be saved and going to heaven. You still have everything. You still have everything. Once you have God, you have everything. But you've got to be sure of that. Then there's the sword of the Spirit. Now, we talked about um, our, our loins girt about with truth. That's the truth of the Word of God. When we talk about the sword of the Spirit, we're talking about an offensive weapon. We're talking about a, a weapon that we can take and we can use. Um, and what you're talking about here is uh, the Word of God as, as a defense against the enemy. <clears throat> That's the rema, the short sword of the verses of Scripture. Jesus demonstrated that for us in Matthew chapter 4. Remember when Satan went after Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? We don't have time to look there. But <clears throat> remember Satan went after Jesus and, he, and he, you know, he was pounding away at him, trying to get him off, trying to get him to do something wrong. What did Jesus respond with each time? Scripture. He took Scripture, and what he did was he just ruined Satan's plan each time. He took Scripture. You need to learn to do that in your life. You need to learn to take Scripture and use verses of Scripture to actually hit the enemy with. Let's take one example, right? Everybody in this room, at one point or another in their lifetime, has had Satan sit on your shoulder and say, yep, but does God really love you? I mean, this happened in your life. If he really loved you, would he have let that happen? Does God really love you? You've got this problem and this difficulty in your life. You've got this thorn in the flesh. Does God really love you? And he's putting in the doubt, because that's one he plays for every one of us here. Every one of us. Now, what do you do? What do you answer with that? Yes, he does, because I, I, I felt it last week that he loves me. That's not going to take you very far. What are you going to answer with? You've got to have scripture in your arsenal to answer with. I, <clears throat> Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, catch that thought there, and catch that truth. The truth is that even though you were a God-hating sinner, Christ showed you his love by dying for you. I'm telling you, that that ought to lift you six feet off the ground. 
That all will lift us up. That all will just blow us away. Christ died for me. Even though I couldn't care less about him, he died for me. And he didn't die for the sins of the world in that sense. He died for your sins. Make it that. Now look at me at Romans chapter 8. We're almost done here, right? Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 32. <clears throat> verse 31 says this. What should we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We, said, we sang it tonight. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's very reasonable, isn't it? If he gave his son for me, will he withhold something that's in his power and would be good for me? No. He gave what cost him the most. Anything else on the scale of, of, of things is infinitely less than his son. If he gave his son for me, will he not also freely with him give us all things? Will he not bless us and give us all the things that we need? Of course he will. Continue on though. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. When Satan lays a charge at you, listen, my father justified me. I didn't fix myself. He did. He made me just as if I never sinned. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now, let me ask you, if somebody came in with a sword, or a modern sword and a gun, and they started shooting people, would you be separated from the love of God? You might feel it, but no, you wouldn't. Understand that God does not say his love goes in the lines he wanted to go in. He says he loves you regardless of what he allows to happen in your life. He didn't stop loving Job when he allowed those things to happen. He didn't stop loving his son when he went to the cross. Listen, and you got, we, 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 we've got to make that mental leap because the reality is we tend to... <clears throat> Look at love and consider love as being okay if it looks like love. But it doesn't always look like love. We talked about Hannah this morning. It didn't look like love to Hannah. And yet, you know what? When looking back from our perspective, perspective, you can see the, the, the fingers of God at work in Hannah's life all the way through. Yes, it's love. No matter what he lets happen to you, it's still love. Right, verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's a great one to throw at Satan. No, I'm a winner because of who loved me. Listen, in yourself, you're not much of a winner. But because of the one that loved you, you're a winner. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Did you, did you catch those two words there? Principalities and power? Remember we read them in Ephesians chapter 6? It's talking about demonic powers. It's talking about Satan and all his power. Nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do you do with this? Is the, 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 the passage here. When Satan comes to you with the, does God really love you? You bet. Yes, he does. He says it. And quote the scripture to him. But fight it. You've got to take the sword of the Spirit and you've got to fight. Of course he loves you. Don't ever let him put that one over on you. Eve bought that lie. And we're all suffering ever since. Don't let the enemy put that one. God loves you. It doesn't matter how dark it looks. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. God loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. And then the final one, <clears throat> praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Listen, <clears throat> when it comes to uh, the battle we're involved in, prayer is the lifeline that we have. Prayer is the communication we have with heaven. Prayer is what makes sense of it all. 
That, that time we spend with him, that time we spend in prayer, answered prayer, seeing God do things in our lives, crying out to him when we're in need. Listen, it makes it all sense of it all. Praying always. Now, what does it mean to pray always? Well, it means always to be in the place of prayer. Always to be in the position where you can actually pray. Don't let your life be in the place where there's sin between you and God and you can't pray. You can't afford that. It's not worth it. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And you know what? In the midst of the battle, you can have contact contact with your Father, and you can be walking with Him in power. You see, what happens when there's a battle going on nowadays is everybody's got radios. And probably much more, you know, much more sophisticated equipment than that. And you know what they do? They make a call. And they say, listen, the enemy's camped out on the next... Uh, on the next hill, can you send in uh, some planes to get rid of them? And they will pinpoint it for them, and the enemy does the business. Listen, you're facing a battle. You're in a war. But you're not on your own. You've not been left on your, uh, to, to yourself. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, crying out to your heavenly Father, Lord, I need help in the battle right now. And he's there. There's reinforcements, there's strength, there's everything there that you need. Don't fail of the grace of God, because it's not because there's not enough of it. It's because you didn't call upon him for it, it's because you didn't go looking for it. Um, <clears throat> we need to spend time in prayer, we need to spend time being connected to him. That, that's what we desperately need. You see, put on the armor and then cover one another in prayer. That's what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be praying for each other. We're all in the war. You know, listen, you go out in the, you go out in the battlefield and we'd watch out for each other, wouldn't we? we you know, we, we'd be interested in each other. We'd, we'd be looking for stories of how we were doing. Listen, pray for each other. It's a war. It's dangerous out there. Martin Luther wrote a hymn. <clears throat> and Martin Luther wrote a hymn when he had made a stand for God in one of the darkest days of history, just before the Reformation. He realized Catholicism was all awash with sin and wickedness and was not based upon the truth of God and that salvation was by faith and it was not by works. And he realized the whole thing was wrong, it was off, and it was wicked. And Catholicism in his day was a temporal power. It had power. The Pope had, was, was, was the greatest ruler the earth knew. As far as he was concerned, he was ruler of all, over all rulers. Right? Now, they, people disputed that from time to time, but... He reckoned he was the ruler of all rulers. And Martin Luther read the Bible and said, that's wrong. So he made a stand against it. Now, he wasn't making a stand against the church. He was making a stand against a lie the enemy had used greatly to deceive the whole world. And you know what happened? The enemy came after him in a fury, in a flood. He was made an outlaw. He was hunted and chased, and they wanted him, they wanted him dead so bad. And he wrote this song. He, he said, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabo is his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And you know what? He must win the battle. He will win the battle. He has won the battle. The question for you is, are you going to align yourself with him and live all out for God and be a warrior and walk with him in a dark day? Are you going to play with this thing and become cannon fodder? Are you going to play with this thing and get cut to bits? Listen, it doesn't make sense to do that. God has made it abundantly clear to us we're in a war. I've given you the armor. Wear your armor, walk with me, and you will know victory. There's now no power the enemy has over him. You will know victory as you walk with him with your armor on. But you've got to wear all of it. And you've got to wear all of it all the time. And that's not a burden. That's a protection. Let's all stand for prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, telling us uh, how to be safe in a dark day when the enemy fights. 
Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us now tonight, Lord, Lord, that you'd just put your hand upon us, Lord, that you would show your face in this room, and Lord, that you would give us victory. Now, Lord, I pray, Lord, work in hearts and lives, deal with things we pray in Jesus' precious name. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. The piano is going to play in a moment. But listen, as God is dealing with you, now, listen, if God has opened your eyes tonight to a deception that you've bought into and you saw it, grab it and go with the light that God is giving you. Don't, don't play with it. Don't wait for a while. Grab it and go with the light that God is giving you. Listen, <clears throat> you need to, to, to see those lies and you need to cast down imaginations and every, everything that exalted itself against the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, against the obedience of the Lord Jesus. And you need to do it right away. I want you to come forward as soon as the, the piano plays and deal with it. If there's some area of the armor that you're not wearing and tonight you see it, and, and God has pointed it out to you, tonight deal with it. Don't wait. Who knows when the evil day is coming? Who knows when that day when the enemy is going to go after you to tear you apart is coming? Listen, as God has opened your eyes and let you see something tonight, grab it, respond to him and say yes. Put the enemy to flight. Don't wait. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't, don't, don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way. Just deal with it tonight. As the piano plays and God has dealt with you, you step out and you come quickly.